John chapter 6, we continue. Third uh, message out of this one chapter, as I was sharing earlier with some of the folks, uh, it's been a uh, challenging walk through this particular chapter. There's just some hard things that, uh, that we come to in the Scriptures, and that's good. You know, I, I've been at this uh, in full-time ministry for 35 years, uh, been a believer for, oh my, uh, nearly 50. Uh, God is good, and I'm grateful for that. And God puts, as Dr. Rogers said, He puts the cookies on the bottom shelf most of the time, so all of us could get to them. But the reality is there's also a call by the Lord Jesus that we go on in the faith, that we grow up in the faith, that we understand the deeper truths. And so when we come to passage like chapter 6 of John, uh, we're, not, we're not like, well, if I had been there, I'd have understood exactly what he was saying, just like uh, I should. We would have probably been among those like the disciples and the listeners around them that said, you know what, this is, this is hard. Jesus had just said, as we mentioned last week, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And the fathers, they received bread out of heaven and they died. But the one who eats this bread, me, consumes and takes into his life fully me, he will have eternal life. That's not a bad thing to hear. It's just not one that we can really get our heads around sometimes. And living it out is even harder. But Jesus at this moment, instead of backing away, he, he looks at what happens. He, he pauses in the conversation right here at chapter 6 and verse 60 where we pick up this evening. And we read there, therefore many of his disciples, now we're not talking about the 12 particularly, we're talking about all those that were, had been following him because of all the miracles and all the wonderful things that he'd been doing and, and the teachings that he had provided up to that point were ones that were drawing them in, winsomely bringing them to an understanding of who he was. It says, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, this idea that we have to consume, we have to drink his blood and eat his flesh, they were, well, they were disconcerted, to, be the, to say the least. And it says here, in, again, verse 60, this is a difficult statement who can listen to it but Jesus conscious that his disciples grumbled at this they were murmuring they were complaining that why can't he just speak plainly why can't he be more uh, understandable why can't he talk to the common man this seems I know we call him rabbi but this seems just a little too theological it's not practical but indeed, it's pointing toward the very key of the entirety of Scripture. He's pointing toward the fact that He alone provides life. He alone can, through His finished work at Calvary, and will, through His finished work at Calvary, provide that which gives eternal life. And as such, He goes on in verse 61, But Jesus, conscious that His disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? Does the, the idea, the word here for stumble is, does this scandalize you? Does this create such an uproar in your spirit that you can't handle it? That 
you too will respond in this way. I want to share with you, first of all, tonight, the battle. If you're taking notes there in your uh, sheet, we begin with the battle. The battle is one that happens in every human heart. There is this difficulty. I want you to read with me again this, these two verses as we begin. It says in verse 60, When they heard this said, they, when they heard this, they said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? And the same word is used in both places for heard and listen in the original language of John's gospel writing. And what that means is that, hey, if they're using the same word, it must mean that they're, they're hearing, but they're not hearing. It's, it's more than that, though. They are hearing, and there is enough understanding that they know I have a decision to make. I can continue listening, and, and I believe the rabbi, the teacher, is going to further explain, and he's going to further illuminate our, our understanding, but I also have a choice. I can either do that or I can say, listen, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm stretched beyond what I'm comfortable with, and I, I just don't think that's what I want to follow through with. It's the difference between... <laughs> How many of you ever told your children to go brush your teeth before bed and came back 20 minutes later and nothing had been done? You go, did you hear me tell you to brush your teeth? Yes, sir. Did you brush your teeth? No, sir. See, there's a problem between hearing and heeding. Between being conscious of what is being said, being astute enough to, to hear it and, and grasp at least the beginnings of its application in your life, but not being conformed by it. And let me just share with you, that's not just for the entry-level individual who's just coming to the gospel, just hearing the beginnings, the, the building blocks of the gospel. They're not just those that are just beginning to understand the claims of Christ. This is for all of us. Because there were people who had just begun to follow because they had been fed a few days earlier. There were some that had been following him because they'd heard about his miracles all along. There were these 12 that huddled around him closely that had left everything in order to be his disciples, to stay close enough where the dust off his feet would get on their feet. And yet all of them, at this moment, had been challenged by the message and words of Christ to say, are you going to step forward or are you going to step back? You see, a lot of times we as Christians, we hear what's said, but we're not really listening. We're comfortable with our own level of obedience instead of saying, Lord, there's still further to go. There's still more to understand. There's still more to apply. And if I don't stay close, I, I'm not going to be able to experience that in my own life. The battle is real. There's a difference, again, between heeding, or excuse me, between hearing and heeding. It's the difficulty in the question of devotion. Are we going to truly be followers of Jesus Christ? Are we just going to be, well, my name's on the roll. You know, this, after, this Sunday afternoon when we went out, had a lot of reports back, had, had some great visits myself. 
I, didn't, I would love to say that all of the bags that we had with us resulted in a wonderful gospel conversation. That didn't happen. Uh, we've got to talk with about 25% of the people. But of those 25%, I would say out of the uh, three or four that we got to even see a person, we had the opportunity to pray with three of those, and that was wonderful. But what if, what if people were ready to receive Christ and we were still just, well, you know, uh, I, I wish I could talk with you about that. I wish I, I, wish I, could, I could share Jesus with you, but, you know, <clears throat> we've got to get to the rest of these houses. We would never do that. But when Jesus speaks into our lives and we're reading, maybe it's in your morning devotion, maybe it's a hard saying of Christ like we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. And he says, listen, I want you instead of, of, of lingering back and, and saying, well, maybe, I, maybe I'll figure that out some other time. I want you to lean into me. At that moment, we are just like those listening to Jesus Christ in chapter 6 of John. We have to make a decision. It may mean that we take a few minutes and say, are there, are there some notes or some references beside this passage in my Bible that would allow me to look further into the claims of Christ at this moment? Do I have a Bible dictionary that would help me understand what he's saying? Is there a concordance that I could pick up and, and use to, to help me live, learn more and, and then live out what I'm learning? We have that kind of decision to make. Friends, I am a pastor teacher, and I love doing what I do. But let me just share with you, my job is not simply, and Brother Steve, I know he loves to tell the old, old story to those that know it best, seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And he's so excited about this coming Sunday, not that he's not excited about every Sunday. I mean, if you talk to the man, he stays excited about the opportunity to preach. I, I resonate with that. But the reality is, you know, this coming Sunday, there's nothing that's going to hold him back from sharing the entirety of the gospel in a way that people can respond. He's calling, the Lord is calling you and I to respond too. Even when it's hard. Even when the truth that God is pounding upon our heart, knocking on our heart's door with, seems to be something beyond our grasp. The He's saying, do you trust me? Because I found, you know, folks, that God shows me God grows me. God illuminates my heart and my mind as well when I'm already in motion far more often than when I'm standing still and saying, okay, you gotta, you got to help me here before I take another step. You see, that's demanding God show Himself to us before we obey Him. It's, it's the idea that, God, I, I'm, I'm the one that's going to decide where we go next. No, 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 it's child of God. You and I are to be following Him even in the hard times. Even when He's challenging us and stretching us, we're to say, this is the battle. Am I going to be the arbiter of what is true and best and good and right at this moment, or am I going to allow Christ to be that arbiter? Am I going to trust Him with all that I am, even when He only shows me the next step? Oh, the pastor talks about all these folks with five-year and ten-year plans and all this stuff. And I understand the, the necessity in, some, in, in many aspects of life to have a plan, to, to prepare for the future. But there's also, as our pastor is primed to, to remind us, 
there is a need for us to just simply say, if all I have is the next light enough for the next step, that's what I'm going to take. I'm just going to do what he says right now and trust that when I, get, when I take that step, he'll show me enough for the next step. One step after another in obedience to him. That's the difference between just simply hearing and heeding. That's the battle that goes on in the human heart. Look with me again in this passage. Again, as we look at what the battle is, there's also, look with me there in verse 61. He says, but Jesus, conscious that his disciples, that is the, the larger number of those that have been following him, grumbled at this statement, this teaching about him being the bread and his flesh being true food and his blood being true drink. He said this. Excuse me. He said to them, does this cause you to stumble? Does this scandalize you? Does this cause you to be so uncertain that you're willing to back away? Does this cause you to stumble? You see, let me just share with you something. I believe at that moment he was looking at those right, right around him, probably the 12, but maybe inclusive of some others as well. But those who were really sincere, those, you remember how Pastor Rogers used to tell folks to sit down front where the fountain was flowing? It's that kind of situation where those that really were already fully in, all in, were down front. And I believe Jesus was just saying, listen, does this cause you to want to walk away as well? Does this cause you to, to say, well, maybe I'm not so sure that this is the one that we had prayed for, hoped for, that had been prophesied? Does, this, does, does what's happening in this moment often cause you to doubt what God has done all along the way? As a pastor, I've seen that happen far too often. And let me just say, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here to be judge, jury, or executioner. I'm just saying I'm an observer. I'm a court observer, okay? Not, not the judge. But what it seems to say is, is that as long as we can grasp what God is doing, as long as it looks like, even in the tough times, even in those things that were unexpected or undesired, but we, we see God's hand even in those tough times, we can... In, a, in at least our best effort to trust Him, we, we do. And we keep going. But sometimes, friends, God says something, does something in our lives, and we're like, wait a minute, that's, that's, just, that's just a little too much. And I believe it's that kind of question that Jesus is asking. Does this scandalize you? Does this cause you to stumble in your faith toward me, in me, does this cause you to want to back away and say, you know what, it'd be easier just to go along with the rest of the world. But let me tell you, the gospel is this, friends. It is, a, <laughs> it is a forsaking of the world, and it will cause a forsaking by the world of our lives. When you follow Jesus, you say, listen, it would be perhaps easier for a moment to follow the world and just, just back off all this, you know, Jesus and discipleship and, and faith. But Christianity is not about being comfortable. It's not about the convenient. It's about a wholehearted surrender 
Not a commitment, a wholehearted surrender to Jesus. I'm going to go on. And that's the battle. I wish, as I shared with you, I, I, I'm sitting here or standing here thinking, uh, it will be, um, I'm about a year and a half, so I guess 48 and a half years ago I came to know Christ. Not 50, but 48. You say, you're OCD. Probably, but let's go on. The reality is that I wish that at some point I had gotten to a plateau, a, a tabletop mountain like out in the west, in the southwest, all those mesas. I wish I had climbed that highest hill and it's just a mesa. And, and Lord, I'm just going to be able to walk a ways on a tabletop. And it's just be smooth and even. And, and Lord, can we just rest for a while? Because a lot of my Christian life, a lot of your Christian life, seemed like an uphill climb. Wouldn't it be nice just to be on a flat, paved, easy road for a while? That's not what taking up our cross and following Him is all about. It's a forsaking of this world, a forsaking of the, 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 the comforts of this world. The, 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 the ideas, the concepts. We often have more desire to fulfill the American dream than our Christian calling. I want this house, picket fence, you know, this, this level of comfort. I want this. Listen, if anything's happening on a global level right now, it ought to be that Christians are learning this world is not our home. And anything you thought you could depend on besides Jesus, oh, he's good to prove different. He is mighty to save, yes, but he is also minded that you and I would forsake this world. And let me just tell you, the more that you and I claim the name of Christ, the more we're going to be forsaken by the world. And there's a battle to that. I get it. It's, it's not easy. It should, if, it is, if your Christianity has been easy, please, please come down after the service tonight and tell me your secret. And then I'm going to tell you a little bit about the real truth. You may think you figured it out, but if your Christianity is an easy walk, then let me share with you, you are missing some of the fundamentals of the faith. Not that he wants it hard, not that God wants evil for us. He has a plan, he has a purpose, he's going to supply everything we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. I have no doubt of that. But if your life is one concerned about your comfort, then that's a battle point in your walk with Christ. And this kind of teaching that he's doing scandalizes such ideas. Second, if you're taking notes tonight, number two, not only the battle, but the belief. What is he calling us to? Look with me in verse 62 and 63. It says there, What then, if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Very quickly, friends, the awareness that Jesus Christ is bringing them comes because of the ascension. He says, look with me again in verse 62. What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? What's going to be hard? Now again, let me just lay the groundwork. He's talking about ascending into heaven now let me share with you if you <laughs> i know every, we say what goes up must come down <laughs> but in jesus case what came down must go back up all right 
And that awareness says, wait a minute, the one who's going to ascend is the one that came. What does that say? We can't help ourselves. You and I have no ability to save ourselves. We have to have help from outside ourselves. And the only help is the wonderful name, that name above every name, the name of Jesus. He had to come down. One of the hardest things for you and me as, as human beings to admit is that we need help. And especially when it comes to the fact that we can't do what is required for us to be in heaven on our own. Again, I've shared with you of late, part of my journey as a pastor has been, doing, has been the privilege, really, of learning a lot about other religious systems. Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Zoroastrianism, Confucianism, uh, what else? Uh, folk religions of all kinds, uh, pseudo-cults like the Mormons and the, uh, and the Jehovah Witnesses. Sunday morning, I, I left. My wife, is, as you know, you, so many of you pray for her, and I'm so grateful. We're both so grateful. But she was just having a rough morning and wasn't able to come, and I said, that's okay, it's going to be... Explore 101 luncheon, and then we're going to have the, the going out and knocking on doors this afternoon. You just rest today, and I'll see you when I get home after the, the going out into the neighborhoods. She said, okay. Well, between the luncheon and, and the going out, I went home. And she was surprised as I walked in the door. She said, Mike, what are you doing here? I thought you were going to stay at the church this afternoon. I said, yeah, but I realized when I took off my coat, because it's going to be warm, I look like a Mormon. I had a white shirt and dark pants on, and I thought, you know, I know I'm going to represent, you know, a religious belief system, but I don't want to misrepresent Jesus. I'm going to change into some more comfortable clothes, and sure enough, had a great afternoon. But all that said, you and I have to understand all those other religious systems that people are on guard about or they've bought into. I was a kid, uh, just, just a little extra here. I was a kid who had, uh, my mom and dad both worked uh, when my brother and I were young. And so we had the sweetest lady, Miss Loreen, that kept us uh, as children uh, before we went to school, during the summers, after we got off the bus uh, from uh, school, just, just like a second or third grandmother to my brother and I. Wonderful lady. But one of the things she would allow us to do, right or wrong, you know, I'll probably have therapy for it after, you know, years, but was that she let us watch too much rerun TV. Now, this was, I'm a child of the 70s, okay? So rerun, black and white reruns of all the old shows were there. And one of them, I didn't really like it, but some of the other folks that were in her home in the afternoons liked The Adams Family. Yep, that's it. Now, today I'm just doing some research, and for some reason, I don't know what algorithm the, the internet had on me, but the guy that played uh, Mr. Adams, the father, Aston, I think is his last name, uh, what, he came up. I thought, well, there's a blast from the past. And so, you know, how your mind does, I just read a few. Well, at the very end of the article, which was very brief, it said, he practices, and it's a form of Buddhism. Lives in Philadelphia or somewhere up north, and he practices this form of Buddhism. I thought, wow. 
you know, I don't know that man at all, except by his TV personas. But you know what? I just, I, maybe it was because of what I'm thinking about in preaching tonight, but I just stopped for a moment. I said, Lord, I don't know how in the world you could intersect this man's life at 93 years of age with the gospel. But if you can, now would be a good time before it's everlasting too late. This evening, you and I need to understand that what we believe is really, really key. Do we understand we can't help ourselves? We can't do enough good things. And Buddhism is built around good deeds. It's not even really a uh, it doesn't have much thought about the afterlife. It's just being a good person while you're here. Oh, friends, good morality is never enough to gain heaven. You and I need to understand that our beliefs matter. But not only does an awareness that He's going to ascend one day tell us that He had to descend because we couldn't help ourselves, but also, <laughs> look with me again, there in verse... Uh, 62, uh, excuse me, 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits a little. No, that's not what it says. Nothing. Your good deeds, my good deeds, the fact that we're regular attenders to any religious group, Bellevue Baptist Church or any other place, has no, no difference in our salvation. I don't, I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying it's not helpful for your growth as a Christian to be in a God-honoring, Christ-centered, Bible-based church. No, no doubt about it. But going to church, being an attender, doesn't save. But you and I need to understand, while our flesh does nothing to profit us in the sense of our salvation and our eternal destiny... The Spirit of God does. The one, once we realize we can't help ourselves, we're ready to receive what the Spirit has. And we're willing to lean in. Even when it's hard, even when we're, when we're not sure we've got a clear understanding of what the Lord's saying to us, when we lean in, He gives greater understanding. He continues to lead us toward Himself. Christ is not putting us on a 12-step program. He's asking us to enter into a relationship with Him that grows day by day by day by day as every one of them pass by. The Scripture goes on to say, number three, not only the battle and the belief, but also the breach. The breach that happens, this divide. Look with me in verse 64. It says there, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray Him. Verse 65 goes on, and He was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to Me unless it has been granted Him from the Father. As a result of this, if they weren't already beginning to leave, as a result of this statement, you can, or this speech that you can put there, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? The breach 
is that, that decision that many were making as they listened to Jesus' teachings. It's a breach that happens on a personal level and a public level many times and in many places when the gospel is preached even today. The breach, first of all, is not a lack of information. That's not the cause. You and I do not, as believers, have to worry that if we tell people more about Jesus, somehow that's going to drive them further away from Him. Well, you know, I don't want to offend. You know, it kind of, you know, you know, if it offends, then they won't listen. I'm not saying be offensive is okay. If you're just odd, if you're just caustic, if you're unkind, if you're overbearing in your witness, please understand me. Stop it. Okay? That's not Christ. That's you wanting to be right, you wanting to prove a point, you wanting to win an argument. That's not what we're about. We're to be witnesses of Christ. And the best witness is one who's truly been changed. Not the, not the one who's erudite in all their understanding of all the little nuances of truth. That's, that's, that's helpful for some. But the witness is the one who says, look, this is what's happened to me. And I don't want to, to get into some you know, long discussion about what others have said to you or, or how you felt when you were around other Christians. I'm just telling you, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm just telling you this is how my life was changed by the man called Jesus Christ. And his gospel forever, ever transformed me. And I'm just so glad about it. I'm so happy about it. I'm, I'm so blessed by it that I can't help but tell others. And if you'll give me a few minutes, I'll tell you, just again, just what he's done in my life. Many times when we live the gospel, when we teach the gospel, we are worried about pushing people away. They're not going to be pushed away. Because people don't walk away from the truth because there's a lack of truth. It's because the truth meets them in a way that they don't want to be met. The truth itself, the truth itself, not you and me, often is the reason people move away from, from a conversation, move away from our witness. They, they reject our words. They reject us being on their front porch trying to tell them about Easter services at Bellevue. It wasn't that you were offensive. It wasn't perhaps, if, I mean, if you were being kind and winsome and trying to do your best, it's not because you did something wrong. It's because they don't want to respond in a godly way, in a humble way, in a believing way to the gospel that they already know. There's a breach. They were hearing the truth. Jesus himself was speaking and they, they withdrew. And they would not follow him any longer. Why? Not because he was doing something wrong. He's the perfect son of God. Not because he was being offensive just because he could be offensive. God knows that you read scripture after scripture after scripture that Jesus Christ was a humble man. He was a man acquainted with sorrows and appointed to grief. He was a man whose who children loved to be around. Now listen, if children and dogs like you, that's a good sign. And children wanted to be around him, and he wanted to be around them. The truth offends those who do not believe. 
there's a breach, not because there's not a witness, not because the word is not accurate, the word is not powerful, is because it is and they don't want it. You and I, again, need to understand the human heart, apart from the grace of God, is a dark and evil thing. And it does not desire. You know, we had, again, when I was just starting in ministry a few decades ago, there was all this seeker-friendly churches starting up, Chicago and, and L.A. and all these other places. You know, we're going we're gonna to have a seeker. And, and I just, you know, I'm not... Again, I try to learn as best I can, but I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, folks. But I think I read where there's none that seeketh after him. No, not one. In our own, left our own devices, none of us as human beings seek after God. None of us who live and love the darkness seek the light. John's already told us that. So when the breach comes, we have to understand it's not just about you and me doing the right thing. Oh, we might have said something wrong. No, you may have said exactly what that person needed to hear. One of my friends told me about a visit they had on Sunday afternoon. It didn't, it didn't exactly, let's just say the person was not receptive. And as they were leaving, the conversation had been back and forth a little bit, but it was obvious they weren't getting anywhere and the man was not willing to hear anything else. And so they, they took the sign and they started to walk away from the porch and down the driveway. And, and my friend just turned one last time. He said, sir, I just want to say one more thing before I go. He said, what's that? He said, God loves you and so do I. And as he walked away, he heard the man just, ha, 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 yeah, right. And then he heard, close the door behind him as he went back into his home. Now you say, oh, that's awful. That, you know, I, that guy just, oh, he's, he needs Jesus. Well, sure he does. But guess what? My friends didn't do anything wrong. They didn't, they didn't back away. They didn't, you know, well up with fear because this guy had some questions and some contradictions and really wasn't open to the, to the gospel anyway. But you know what happened? Just like the disciples of old, that last statement is in effect. Now, again, I'm, this, this gentleman, my friend, had no intention of ill will toward this man, even after the conversation had gone the way it did. But that was shaking off the dust as he walked away. Now, no one at Bellevue may ever talk to that person. There may not be you know, any one of us that would know anything about this situation. But let me tell you what, that man heard truth. And he can't unhear it. And the Spirit of God will not allow him to forget it. And he will bring it back to his, that man's remembrance at the right moments. I've seen time and time again, and many of you have as well, that we thought, oh, we've gotten nowhere with that person. And then circumstances in that person's life changed, and all of a sudden, what was never even a crack in the door is a wide open path to share the gospel. The breach can happen, but please understand, that's because men choose not to follow the truth. The scripture here, we need to, again, walk carefully through it as we finish up tonight. This passage, again, verse 65, and he said, For this reason I have said to you, that no one can come to the Father unless it has been granted him 
from the Father. Now, a lot of people read that and say, yep, my Calvinist friends, boy, they, they've got it. Yep, see, the Father draws and then you're saved. No, that's not what this is talking about. What it's saying, look with me. For this reason, for the fact that he knew that folks' hearts were evil. Yes, God allows. It says here, for this reason, I have said to you that no one can come. No one is able in their flesh. The flesh profits nothing, remember? No one is able or can come to the Father on our own. We're not going to walk into heaven one day and say, look at me. Look how well I did. Boy, I lived a perfect 10 kind of life. Glory be to me. No, all of heaven from every tribe and kindred and tongue and nation is going to be saying, worthy is the Lamb. And let me tell you what, whether we, we have, you know, Sam and I talk a lot about the, the congregational singing. Well, I, I, I grew up with it, and I love it. I love to hear people sing. I love uh, tonight. I mean, there's a lot of new songs that I enjoy, I think are honoring to the Lord. I, I, I have them in my playlist and all that. But there's something, when you sing the songs like we sang tonight in that congregational singing time, that just resonate, just swell up my heart to say, yes, that's not only a, a great memory with me standing next to my mom and dad and my brother on the other side of me on that pew at Lincoln Heights Baptist Church in little Tullahoma, Tennessee, on the wrong side of the tracks by some people's estimation. But oh, how wonderful that was. That's a sweet memory, but guess what? Every time I sing Amazing Grace, it's not just because it's the most famous Christian hymn in all of, all of history, but it's great theology. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." Do you understand what that's saying? God draws men to Himself by causing us to fear the very wrath of God that is justly upon every one of us. And then the second half of that verse. And grace, my fears, relieved. You see, the same grace that causes me to fear before a holy God because of my sin is also the one that tells me He, because of His great love, has graciously, benevolently offered me a way of salvation. You see, the Father calls us. The Bible tells us over and over and over again that he would that all men should be saved. The, the heart of God in countless ways is displayed. God does not want anyone to perish, but that all would come to redemption and salvation in Jesus Christ. People aren't saved because God chooses this group and not that group. No, 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 no. We're saved when we respond to an already open offer. His arms, his hands open wide. Anyone, whosoever will, may come. 
He makes it possible. He grants it. But if he, hadn't, if he hadn't provided a way, if he hadn't wooed us, if he hadn't had said, look, here's salvation, here's your sin, but here's salvation, that's grace. If he hadn't worked in our lives, drawing us to himself, he leaves the choice to us, but he forces no man to be saved, and he forces no man to stay lost. Scripture here says, yes, there's a battle. Yes, there is belief that has to be understood. Yes, there's a breach that happens between God and man because of our rejection of truth. Fourth, the blessing. Verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Oh, my. What a wonderful statement. Unlike the, the synoptic gospels where Jesus asks, who do, you, who do men say that I am? And then he turns and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. John says it a little differently. He remembers it and records it at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit a little differently. But here, that same kind of testimony comes out of Peter the apostle's mouth. But I love what he says. Where else shall we go? What, what other options? There are none. You, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. You're the only one that offers hope. You know why it grieves me to see Mr. Aston, the actor in the Adams family, practicing Buddhism? Because of the darkness of that religious system. There's no hope in it. There's no joy in it. talked a moment ago about the congregational hymns and how we enjoy doing that and especially the ones that we remember so well but guess what Christians are the only one that sing like that there's no choral congregational hymn tradition in Islam there's no such thing in Buddhism or Hinduism now does that mean there's no music I'm not saying there's no music there's no celebration music there's no worship music like our music. They make a lot of sounds. Have you ever seen those documentaries where the orange-clad Buddhist monks are up on some mountain and their, their throats are wobbling all at the same time? People say, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's amazingly stupid. I'm sorry, Mom, didn't need to say that word. Stupid. I said it twice. Oh, my goodness. There's no hope in that. There is no joy in that. There's no comfort in that. There's no peace in reminding ourselves of what Buddha or Muhammad did, but what Christ did. Oh, what celebration we have. Why? Oh, because there's no story like his story. He has the words of eternal life. Last and finally, there's the, belief, there's the battle first. There's the belief that he talks about is incumbent upon all who would follow him. There's a breach that we have to understand, a breach caused by sin. And there is no small, this is no small matter, this sin nature of ours. There is the blessings, yes, the blessings of knowing him because he has the words of life and he is, as Peter said, the Holy One of God. But last and finally, Jesus ends this chapter with a bulletin. A take note moment. Jesus answered them, 
Did I myself not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is the bulletin. God, let me, let me say this clearly. God designed, God determined the path of eternal life in eternity past. But Judas decided to rebel on his own. God knew how he was going to redeem you and me before there was ever one atom that had electrons circling around protons and neutrons in the very first atom that ever was created. Long before that, God knew what he was going to do and how he was going to do it. Because yes, he knew he was going to create man. Yes, he knew he was going to give man a free will. And yes, he knew that Adam would sin and in Adam all would die. And that his plan was that in Christ all would be made alive. But I want you to stick your finger there in John just for a moment as we close and turn back just a few pages perhaps in your Bible to Luke chapter 22. The Gospel of Luke chapter 22. Remember I said, before the foundations of the world was laid, the Lamb was slain. God knew how He was going to redeem us long before there ever was a need. He had a plan of redemption. But Luke 22 and verse 22, read there in the words of Jesus, For indeed the Son of Man is going as it is, excuse me, as it has been determined. The Son of Man is going as it has been determined. I'm going to the cross because that was the determined counsel of the triune God. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. God determined the manner of salvation, but Judas chose his diabolical, devilish betrayal. He wasn't a pawn that he couldn't do anything but that. Judas chose his rebellious betrayal. And let me just share with you. Men and women go out into eternity without Christ, not because God made them do that, but because they choose to reject the one who is the Holy One of God, the one who has the words of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, <laughs> what, a, what an incredible reminder of our responsibility to preach the words, the blessings of eternal life, your words to those around us. And especially on this Wednesday, I don't know how, I didn't plan it, I wish I was that smart, but I'm sure not. But today in Christianity is Wednesday of Passion Week. The, this is the time when historically Christians have, have believed that this was the time when Judas made the bargain for 30 pieces of silver. Lord, 
today, we don't, we don't commemorate it in celebration, but with somberness of heart, we realize our sin is so deep and so broad and so wide and so high. And yet you have given us the words of eternal life. You give us hope in the midst of a dark world. And the greatest bargain Wednesday that has ever been known might be for many here tonight. A moment where we say, like Peter, Lord, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Father, help us to be men and women who boldly share the transforming power of that eternal life that we've received. May we do it with our neighbors, the lady that checks us out at the grocery store, that one who helps us as we check into a doctor's appointment, family that don't know you that will be around this weekend. Whatever opportunities, Father, help us to be people who, because we have come to you, we can go nowhere else because you have words of eternal life. And you offer anyone and everyone that opportunity to know you and to follow you. We rejoice in that. We celebrate that. We thank you. Oh, Lord, we thank you for tonight and for the truth of your word. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.